today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. The Tragically Hips, uh, Rob Baker says the band is in the process of sifting through some previous unreleased uh, music and hopefully uh, share that. Uh, with the fans someday. In other words, another album. Uh, to talk more about all of this, let's bring in Alan Cross, host of the ongoing history of new music and is with us now. Alan, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. Oh, you know, Groundhog Day. Every day's the same. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Hey, do you remember when the Tragically Hip uh, was new music? What was it like when this band was first breaking? We, I remember playing the debut EP back in I guess 1988 and uh, this it, it was something about the band that perked up your ears and made you think oh this is interesting this is a different sound this isn't something we've heard from a Canadian group in quite some time we're gonna have to give it a listen but then the up to here album comes out in 1989 it's like whoa okay this is a group they're gonna have to really pay attention to because this record is it's insanely good and gives us all kinds of hope for the future. Canadians absolutely love this band. Uh, didn't have a lot of international success. Um, it was one of those bands either you like or you don't like, I guess. I don't know. I can't figure it out. But what are your thoughts on that? W- what makes this band so uniquely Canadian? Well, they're, they're kind of like one of those hinterland who's who bands in the yeah. sense that uh, you listen to them and you can tell that they're from Canada by the way they name check people and places and events and things in this country. But they never sounded cheesy about it. They sounded really authentic. I mean, they could talk about playing hockey. They could talk about going to Bob Cajun. They could talk about Marshall McLennan. Uh, McLennan and it, it, it worked. It didn't seem to be forced. It seemed to be natural. And it didn't seem to be a band that was singing about Canada because, well, you know, we're Canadians and it's an earnest thing and we have to do it. They just sang about what came naturally. And uh, because they made it so easy to go down, because it didn't feel like you were, you know, getting a history lesson or being forced to some sort of weird nationalism on you, uh, people began to uh, really, really appreciate what they were doing. Now, at the same time, as we get to the end of the 1980s and into the 1990s, Canadian music, especially Canadian rock is, is coming of age after 20 years of the Canadian content rules. And uh, we have this infrastructure put in place with bands and venues and producers and recording industries and, uh, or recording studios and record labels and all that sort of stuff to the point where the music has evolved, where it is genuinely good. It is genuinely uh, world class. And Canadians, Generation X at the time, was looking for something that they could call their own. Uh, we had gone through a really long period of hair metal and classic metal or classic rock in the 1980s. And when Generation X starts getting you know, older, they want music that reflected themselves. And uh, they found that reflection in a lot of Canadian bands, starting largely with the Tragically Hip, but also with the Bare Naked Ladies and a few others. But the Hip led the charge of what we have since called the Can Rock Renaissance of the 1990s. How much, uh, how much uh, extra material is there? Where does this come from? Well, a number of years ago, I was asked to write the liner notes for the special 25th anniversary edition of uh, the Fully Completely album. And I got to play in the hip archives. They brought out all these bankers' boxes filled with material relating just to the Fully Completely album. And there were 
dozens of them. So from this, you can infer that there was, they saved everything. They were pack rats. And having talked to some people close to the band, they indicate that, you know what, uh, yeah, yeah, there's some stuff in the vaults. Because when I was sorting through everything, I found a whole bunch of burned CDs with stuff on it. Don't know what was on it because it was just you know vaguely labeled, but it looked like there was some stuff from that era. And when you you know are, are a touring recording band, you record everything. You're on the road, you're on the tour bus, you have an idea, you put it down. You have your own recording studio like they do in, in Bath, Ontario. Uh, you're going to mess around and you're going to record 25 tracks for an album, but only use 13. So what happens to those other 12? Well, they go into the vault for some time later. Uh, and you know this is a band that has been around since the middle 80s. They lasted until Gord died. So it stands to reason that there would be a lot of stuff left behind that, for whatever reason, never made an album because, you know, of time considerations or uh, timing considerations. You know, they, they recorded something between records, and by the time they got to the next record, they had decided to go into a different direction. Or, you know, they made decisions that, you know, this one doesn't sound like we want to sound right now. So we'll just put it off to the side and see what happens to it. You know, B-sides, bonus tracks, all these things. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's there's a, a huge trove of stuff there. You said left off, and this is my next question, you said left off the album from uh, uh, for various reasons. Uh, obviously, you go in, you record a lot of stuff. Some make it, some doesn't uh, make it. Does that mean that the stuff that didn't make it is inferior to the stuff that did? Some of it would be. Some of it was just considered to be not up to snuff compared to the other tracks that they had put down for the record. Others, you know, may have needed time to marinate. You know, sometimes you don't hear the hit potential or the greatness in a song until a certain amount of time has passed. Maybe the song is ahead of its time. Maybe it's uh, of a different time. Um, or it's just that, you know what, my ears are really tired from listening to all this other stuff. I, I don't know what's good and what's bad anymore. Um, I don't have a good feeling about this right now, but I don't have such a bad feeling that I think we should erase it. So you you don't know. Where would the remaining members of the band go with this? Say they, they you know, obviously they'll come up with something. Um, nobody knows exactly what it'll be like yet, but say it's massive and it sells. Where does the band go with this? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, there are examples of bands that have, broken up and have ended up releasing records after the demise that have become very successful. And I think the best example would be the Scott Punk band Sublime. They mm. were on the cusp of something absolutely huge in 19, I think it was 95, when uh, just days before their record was supposed to be released, their singer died of a heroin overdose. But they left so much material behind that that record came out and was a huge hit. And then they started going through the archives, and I think there's three, four albums that continued to do that, that continued to sell extraordinarily well through the through the rest of the '90s. So that's one example. And I guess you know the best, best, best example would be Jimi Hendrix. Hmm. How many posthumous Jimi Hendrix albums are there? I mean, one just came out a a, a few years ago. He was always working at Electric Ladyland, uh, and he. Uh, but you know, put stuff down, and, and and people have been. I think there's 45, somewhere you know, close to four dozen posthumous Jimi Hendrix records. Now he can't tour, but but certainly, uh, they've certainly you know been 
gobbled up by the fans. I, you know, if there is, if and when, probably more like when, there is a new hip album, call it, you know, from the vaults or whatever you want to call it, it will automatically be a huge uh, seller with fans. Yeah. Simply because the, the band was still at the heights of their power when they played that last show in Kingston. And there's still a tremendous amount of uh, affection and devotion to them that I can't see, you know, uh, like call it, I don't know, whether it's going to be a box set, whether it's going to be a, uh, a single album, uh, whatever the case, it will, it will do well. They just won't be able to tour behind it. They'll, they'll, you know, probably do some some um, promo tours for it. But the idea of going out on the road without Gord never going to happen. Yeah, isn't you going to see a hologram or anything like that here? Uh, I doubt it. Yeah. Uh, the technology's not there, and I, I don't know if the guys are into that sort of thing. That would seem. Maybe they might consider that exploitive, uh, but then mm. again, you never know. Never say never. Uh, is what would this be like for the band to go through and do this? Is this cathartic for the band? Is this hell? I mean, it must be difficult. Well, again, this is a group. The four remaining guys in the group have been with the band since the, since what nineteen eighty five. This is all they've ever known. The, this is their lives, and some space has been put between Gord's death and now. Mm. There is, uh, you know, they've managed to regroup. You know, some of them. Um, all, almost all of them have, have put out some solo stuff. Um, and, and maybe it's time to say, okay, uh, the grieving is over. Let's see if we can regroup and give some honest attention to what is still there because there's a legacy to be nurtured. You know, the hip spent so many decades becoming one of the great Canadian rock bands that you just don't want them to go away forever. I mean, they went out on a bang, of course, with that last tour. But if there's something more there that can keep the group alive, that would be great. The other thing, too, is that you have to think about income streams. Mm. Uh, these guys are, are approaching 60, and you have you know, nobody's buying records the way they used to. Tragically Hip stuff is always on the radio, which is a, a, a nice income stream. But you're not getting anything from streaming. You're not getting anything from tour touring. So you have to come up with a way to keep the money coming in, just so they have salaries. Uh, and, and there's 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 nothing wrong with that, especially if you do it in a um, in a respectful sort of way. Uh, the I you know, we've seen now with with all these big companies that are licensing or buying the publishing rights from big artists for huge amounts of money uh, in order to unlock the potential, the value in the, the song, these songs. Uh, you're going to see more of that. And I think the Tragic Lamp is going to try and do that on their own without selling all their publishing to anybody. Um, they, they certainly are capable with their management. So you've already got that one commercial uh, on TV right now with the cover of uh, Head by a Century. You may yeah, know. yeah. Uh, again, that's providing steady income for these guys who have, are not ready to retire. And the only place that they got money from, the only place that they've ever drawn a salary from, is their music career. So they have to figure out ways to maintain, you know, getting paid. Because, you know, the, the hip sold, I don't know, maybe 
maybe six million albums total over the, their career, most of them in Canada. Uh, and that's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not a lot. You know, they would yeah. make most of their money from touring. And now they can't do that. It's not that they're all multi, multi, multi-millionaires and can sit on their piles of cash and, and, and live that way for the rest of their lives. They can't. They're, they're going to need, like, like all of us, like all of us, they need a paycheck. And here's what Alan? Alan Cross has been with us, host of the ongoing history of new music. Uh, rumors floating around like the Tragically Hip could be releasing uh, some of the work that didn't make it the first time. Uh, be very exciting to hear that. Alan Cross has been with us. Alan, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, this time of the show, uh, I've been talking to various restaurants, uh, businesses and such in Hamilton that have been feeling the uh, pinch as a result of a global pandemic. And obviously, Hamilton's nightlife taken a hammering as well, uh, as obviously uh, performance venues have uh, pretty much all but closed up. Let's bring in Blake Prince. He's a Hamilton-based musician and manager of Club Absinthe and is with us now. Blake, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. My pleasure, Scott. Nice to talk to you. So I can imagine what this has been like for you and your industry and, and absinthe and such, but give us, a, give us an overview what the last year has been like for you. Oh, it's been crazy. Um, we actually, right before COVID, uh, we went through new um, owners and um, the business was sold and um, the climate completely changed within the actual bar and nightclub itself. So there was a little bit of a rebuilding um, period there, uh, which didn't take too long to do so, but we ended up doing it. And then, uh, yeah, we seemed to have things back on track and we were on a roll and then boom, COVID hits. And uh, me being a touring musician, uh, all of my uh, endeavors for the year were canceled. Um Everything that was coming through to absence was canceled, obviously. And then we had no choice but to shut our doors, as every other business did, and every everything else few and far between. Um, after that, we were rolling around with the, the color coding and the regulations and the phases and the rollouts. And then we were eventually able to open in, I believe, June, but only under the circumstances that we could have 100 uh, people on our patio, socially distanced, six people per table at first. Then it uh, ended up being at topping off at 10 people per table, uh, but also had to accommodate 50 people inside as well. And us being a nightclub and only having seating for comedy events, we had to figure out how to get tables and chairs and benches into the club. Um, and uh, if you were looking around on Marketplace or Kijiji in that time, you weren't finding anything that was priced fairly. So we welded and built tables and benches ourselves to accommodate uh, our patrons and our loyal customers to come in and sit and enjoy a little taste of normalcy for a little while. And then in November on the 14th, we were shut back down and we haven't been open since. So how are you staying afloat? I mean, you know, in uh, touch on the GoFundMe campaigns. Yeah. Uh, so we're staying afloat. Help, you know, we're taking the... Uh, the help from the government, the subsidy, the subsidized wages, all this. Um, unfortunately, we can't be open uh, under our standard uh, opening uh, and actually be able to pay for staff. So we're just kind of, we've closed our doors. We're taking the the, uh, the deductions off of our rent and insurance for the time being until that falls through. Uh, but there are things that need to be paid for, uh, like, you know, 
uh, the hydro and uh, the gas and like, you know, all these other things that add up and obviously things kind of that need to be maintained throughout the club. So yeah, we, we, uh, we didn't want to, but we were kind of, our backs were up against the wall come November. So we needed to come up with a, a backup plan. So uh, cue the GoFundMe page. And uh, we had that started, uh, I think almost instantly when we found out we had to shut down in November and uh yeah we we're we're uh, almost at uh like i think we're about at $10,000 or close to it right now so the support and the onslaught of love has just been nothing short of incredible and flattering uh, there's a lot of people that care about this venue in Hamilton there's a lot of musicians and uh drag queens and performing artists alike uh that all depend uh on us to be there when we can get back to uh being you know open again so uh yeah it's 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 just been a roller coaster and a complete struggle all the way through uh how concerned are you some of these venues may not make it back i mean as you said uh, hamilton's known for this sort of thing i mean there's always some place to go and watch something how concerned what do you think the impact's going to be oh unfortunately we've already seen a couple historic venues yeah. shut down amidst this this craziness uh you know the saint hollywood was a really powerful venue in the city they shut down uh there's a lot of other ones uh struggling uh, it's concerning in the sense that they're they're right off the hop. Uh, say say we open the doors tomorrow and world goes back to normal. You know, there's going to be a few less uh, venues for performing artists to uh, perform at and everything else. Um, but ultimately, I feel like um, maybe it'll be a good thing. Maybe there'll be you, you know. Um, a restoration in the community and the music scene. And maybe uh, we'll see a lot more people chomping at the bit to get through our doors to play our stage. And hopefully some more venues can um, accommodate as well. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed, we're always looking at the, the positive side. So that's all we can really do right now. Any idea when you can open doors again? I mean, obviously you're looking into a crystal ball, but what's your plan? So I think with the last rollout uh, with the color, coordinated uh phases they were doing last time i think we opened in phase two um now with the 16th being the day where they're going to start rolling out those things it's all going to depend on what our numbers are like here in this region however uh it's kind of hard to say i would fingers crossed we can open uh under phase two regulations if it's going to be something similar if not we might be in the third phase with like gyms and, and things like last time so yeah i mean we we hope within the next month or two um best case scenario but if not then we're we're gonna be uh well our nerves will be a little bit uh through the roof i'm sure are you concerned blake that people might be hesitant at first or do you think that once the doors open up oh man look out because people just are dying to do something we, we talk about that a lot actually and it's funny just because the first time around when we did open out up in june it was probably a little premature in the sense that People were definitely iffy, though. There wasn't, we didn't have a year under our belt with this COVID. Uh, you know, people weren't as well versed or uh, knowledgeable towards it back then. But now, a year later, I think maybe people have a different uh, mindset towards it. Um, we always did everything to um, accommodate uh, all of our patrons that we were up to date on our sanitization stations and, and pro process, you know, the, the tables were wiped constantly. There was always somebody going around wiping tables and masks and, and face shields and the whole nine. And, and uh, you know, it, it's, that's just a whole other juggling act on its own. Uh, but this time around, I'm not sure. I, I would like to think people would be a little bit more uh, feeling a little bit more comfortable coming out and attending these things safely. Um, 
you know, uh, I think I think people's opinions might have changed uh, upon the first time this hit compared to now. But uh, yeah, it's exactly like you said. It's like looking into a crystal ball. Nobody knows. Everything's so unpredictable right now. What you know, and, and obviously you're a musician, so you're well embedded in this community. For sure. What to? Um, what do you think? How do you think things are going to change once this the new normal is here? Uh, what, what can you learn from this? Uh, are there opportunities here? Will this change uh, this industry moving forward? Well, I think so. Um, I think it's always going to be embedded in people's heads that this this era in time definitely happened, and uh, it, it'll hopefully push people to be a little bit more cautious and a little bit safer, especially with. Uh, uh, you know, just washing their hands and, and, you know, covering your mouths and all that stuff, which I think the world could have uh, used a little bit of a reality check on anyways. Um, but I think, uh, I mean, as a musician uh, and and speaking with other people in the industry on a daily basis, I think we're all very hopeful that there's going to be uh, like a roaring 20s kind of uh, vibe when things go back to normal. And hopefully people will be chomping at the bit and excited to get out and enjoy themselves again safely, of course. And you know, these things are going to be burned in the back of our heads with sanitizing and masks and all this. And we encourage it all the way until it's not necessary anymore, if that's even um, safe to say. But uh, yeah, we're just, we're hopeful. And uh, I think ultimately we feel like this could be a positive. I think that people are going to come out of this uh, greater, better, and uh, hopefully there'll be a uh, resurgence uh, let's go back, and, and this is you know from the creative side of a musician. Let's go back to before we even knew anything around about COVID nineteen, where the music industry was, where the club industry was, yeah. uh, where the culture, where pop culture was prior to COVID nineteen. Uh, then we go through this for a year, whatever. I mean, many people thought, ah, you know, a year, t- a month or two, we'll be out of this, and uh, no effect. Here we go. But there's no way you can go through from a society perspective through this sort of thing and it not change you coming out the other end. How do you think this is going to change music? How is this going to change culture? How is the scene different post-COVID-19 than before? Are we going to see that? I mean, it would would make sense that we would see that in the the material, the product that comes out the other end. Absolutely. You know, I'll be thinking about this on the daily. Like, you would think that your your frequent showgoer, you know, could be rattled so... Uh, effectively from this whole last year that maybe that their once passion for waking up early on a Friday to buy tickets from Ticketmaster to go to the next big show, maybe that person lost the drive and the passion in this last year. Maybe, maybe uh, that's not as important to them anymore. Maybe they, you know, maybe they've been uh, intimidated by the whole situation and maybe it'll take some time for them to regroup and to feel comfortable to get back into that world. Um, I find that, um, with those thoughts come a lot of productivity too. So maybe in the last year, people that used to rely and depend on music or even musicians who used to uh, create, maybe they found something else that they were good at in this last year. I, I've spoken to a lot of people that have saw the positive in this whole time staying at home and using their time wisely to um, go down a different avenue in life. And I mean, you know, all the best, but at the end of the day, music's always going to be there. And I'd like to think that music's always going to be such a powerful catalyst for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, just high hopes that, uh, that, um, it, it can come back and hopefully it can be better than ever. I, I certainly miss the camaraderie of being in a room with 20 to 50,000 people singing the same thing, you know, uh, in unison. <laughs> it's a, it's a feeling that I miss dearly. So, hmm. yeah. 
Ah, chills up my spine just hearing that. I can imagine what it's like to stand on stage. Uh, website we can go to to find out what's going on at Absinthe and the, and the GoFundMe page and such? Yeah, right. So we have uh, the GoFundMe, and if you just search Save Club Absinthe, uh, it'll bring you right to our campaign. I think it's up for another 20 days before it expires. Uh, and if anybody who's listening right now have contributed, we thank you dearly from the bottom of our heart. And you are the full purpose why we continue doing what we're doing and fighting for uh, this big reopening. So uh, just thanks to everybody for hanging in there. And I hope everybody is staying safe. And uh, yeah, much love. Blake Prince has been with us, Hamilton-based musician and manager of Absinthe and how clubs, hospitality, and entertainment venues are coping uh, during a COVID-19 pandemic. And don't forget, they need your support as well. Uh, Check out the website and help them out on the GoFundMe page if you can. Blake, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Good luck with all this. Thank you so much. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.